Welcome back to the Meet the Investigators podcast from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your host, Sean McGoey, and I'm an editorial fellow at ICIJ. This month, we're talking to a Tunisian journalist who founded an independent newsroom that has collaborated with ICIJ on groundbreaking investigations like the FinCEN files and Panama Papers. Melk Khadrawi, uh, I'm executive director of uh, Inkifada. Inkifada has worked with ICIJ on seven projects dating back to the Swiss Leaks investigation in 2015. Sometimes they've been a reporting partner, sometimes their designers have provided illustrations. For the Pandora Papers, ICIJ's biggest investigation ever, they pulled double duty, designing the stunning graphics behind the project while also reporting on the offshore holdings of prominent politicians and businessmen from the Middle East and North Africa. Malik and I talked about the Pandora Papers, Inkifada's innovative business model, and how an autocratic regime kickstarted his journalism career. Here's our conversation. One of the things that's really stood out to me about the Pandora Papers investigation is that the Middle East, especially Dubai, but also the larger region, is growing in influence in the world of offshore finance. Why is it so important to shine a light on that for readers? Yeah, uh, Dubai, especially, as, as you mentioned, I think it's a strategy to invest on this alternative to uh, old-fashioned places as Panama or as uh, British Virgin Island, which are now a little bit flagged. And it's a very good alternative to Switzerland or to Luxembourg or to some of the European countries. So they want to sell it as a place when you can have the same kind of quality services for this kind of people looking for secrecy. And I think Dubai is openly trying to play this this role. It's a new alternative for the financial world to have those very friendly, not uh, asking a lot of question places to, to put their the money in. Another major part of this project was the power players, ICIJ's profiles of country leaders and high-ranking government officials. Inkifada put out its own series of profiles on the major Tunisian names in the data, including political power broker Mohsen Marzouk, whose story you already broke as part of the Panama Papers investigation in 2016. So who is Mohsen Marzouk and what was the new information that you found? During the Panama Papers in 2016, uh, we discovered that Mohsen Marzouk was in discussion with uh, Mossack Fonseca to open a, a company in between the first and the second round of the Tunisian presidential election. He was the, the political advisor, the chief of the campaign of the future president of the country. And the guy was asking Mossack Fonseca about how to open a company in the British Virgin Island. He completely denied uh, the fact. He was like saying, no, this is a lie. They target me as I am a successful political uh, player and all this stuff. Five years after, we have the other part of the story. When he was asking to open a company with Mossack Fonseca, he was in contact at the same time with SFM asking to open a, co a company. He was assuring to SFM that the money that he will put in the company is legal and, and legitimate and is coming from his own uh, work. But he used the, the full spectrum of services that uh, SFM was providing to hide his identity. A false director, a false shareholder. It wasn't really a behavior of someone who's just putting uh, regular uh, money. or. <laughs> so uh, we've already seen some impact from the Pandora Papers. In the Czech Republic, Andrej Babish is now the former prime minister after his party suffered surprising election losses just days after the first stories were published. 
but there hasn't been nearly as much public reaction in the Middle East, even though there are many heads of state and other prominent figures in the data. How hard is it to determine whether an investigation like this has been successful in a region where many autocratic governments restrict public expression? So I think we need to distinguish between the official communication or the official media scene and the underground conversation between people about the impact of those big investigations. As for Tunisia, for example, there is not a lot of impact in terms of money recovery or justice trying at least to sue some people or try to investigate on some of the people that we uh, worked on. But in the same time, the question of tax evasion, money laundry, especially when it comes to politicians or to prominent businessmen, it became something very obvious to everybody. So people are really consuming this content. And in the public opinion, it became something unacceptable for everybody that the wealthiest trying to avoid paying tax and put their money outside of the country the Swiss leaks and Panama Papers had a big public opinion impact, and we had a judiciary action against the people that we work on in the Panama Papers without big results, but at least there is a parliamentary commission investigating on this. There is like a case open against the people involved. We are, was really surprised that this time for the Pandora Papers, nothing so far happen in terms of official reaction from the authorities. From the media outlet, I can understand there is economical reason that made most of the mainstream media in the country uh, unable to, to report on those people as they are shareholders or major advertiser or something like that. But there is like uh, differences between what the president saying about corruption and money laundry and tax evasion and the absence of reaction from the authorities uh, today. Before journalism was part of his life, Malik was part of the Tunisian diaspora. He studied business administration and lived in France during the dictatorial reign of President Zine El Abidin Ben Ali. In 2006, Malik got his start in journalism as part of the independent collective blog Nawat, a site founded by other Tunisian-born writers living abroad who wanted to chronicle the abuses of power happening in their country. In 2011, the Tunisian revolution toppled Ben Ali's regime, sparking the movement known as the Arab Spring, and Malek and his colleagues brought Nawat home. A few years later, Inkifada was born. In 2013, when I created Inkifada with my co-founders, uh, we wanted to be fully dedicated to long-form investigative journalism and in-depth journalistic work. What's one of the biggest challenges to building a media organization from the ground up? We are a media producing in three languages. Uh, so we have a, a newsroom with three different kind of culture, the francophone, the arabophone, and the English also. It's challenging for anybody to enter this newsroom to be like confronted in a very unusual way of organization. And how do you bridge some of those gaps that arise when you have three different cultures coming together in one organization? We have a lot of moment that the whole team with a different department and different culture meet in a very informal ways. We have a, an annual retreat when we spend like three, three days together in a place just to know each other, just to talk more about the specificities of every department or everybody's work. And it helps creating this common culture. Some of the issues that we want to produce at first in one specific language, because the issue itself, it can 
be more visible in this uh, niche of uh, of readers as the francophone readers are maybe more uh, aware about some of the individual freedom questions or th uh, things related to some type of issue so maybe we start we choose the language of the reporting sometime in term of the audience and the capacity of the audience to interact with the content and after we serve it to the other languages for example so we try to make it clear for everybody that we are serving the same purpose that the three versions are serving a one unique goal to impact the, the audience with our work. Inkifada looks very different from other news outlets in the Middle East and North Africa. You deal with subjects that outlets in other places often don't take on, like LGBTQ rights. How did you and your colleagues decide that you wanted to create something new and unique? It's a mission-driven media organization as we define it. So we have like some values that we are fighting for in a way and some human rights issues or taboos in the society that we need to be tackled uh, and need to be discussed as the country is living like a very radical change on the political level, but also in the society level. Tunisia is a little bit different from the other Middle East country, I think, in terms of discussing and debating personal freedom or uh, issues related to uh, gender. Tunisia is already ready in a way for this kind of discussions. It was like the perfect moment for us to raise this kind of uh, topics. Now, new constitution also put a lot of new rights uh, as the freedom uh, of religious or the importance of privacy uh, as citizens. You mentioned that Inkifada is a mission-driven organization. One aspect of your mission that I find really fascinating is that Inky runs on a business model that is not so conventional for the media business. There's no ads. You're not taking funding from donors who might try to compromise your editorial independence. Instead, you generate a lot of your revenue through providing services to other organizations like ICIJ. How does that business model give Inkifada freedom to do the kind of work you want to do? From the beginning, and it was part of the DNA of the project, how to create the most independent and sustainable business model for the media, completely protected from the influences of the, uh, the advertiser or investors here in the country. So we are not completely donors free. We have 30% of our budget coming from two major donors, which are known to be very respectful of the independency of media, specialized on funding media. The 70 other percent are generated by a bunch uh, of services. Uh, some are editorial as training for other journalists or supporting media organization to come up for uh, with uh, editorial strategy or business model or something like that. And the other part, which is the big part, it's uh, a media lab with developers, designers, data science, providing uh, design and development services. The last collaboration with ICIJ for Pandora Papers, for example. Also, we developed tools for media organizations like uh, publishing tool, audience measurement tools, but also we are trying to make AI-based tools available also in Arabic for the media outlet in the region. The idea is really to acquire expertise, provide those services to Inkifada as the first beneficiary of all this knowledge, but also generating money uh, from that and uh, assuring our independency. Another thing that really sticks out to me from your mission statement is a passage that says, Inkifada fully assumes its role as a counterpower against all injustices that flow from the corruption and impunity of the powers that be. That's a very forceful statement. What do you mean when you say counterpower? 
one of the major problem of the Tunisian economics is that it's held and is led by a very few number of families who are in charge of the most lucrative and the most important part of the Tunisian economy with monopoly or quite monopolies in certain sectors, which make the corruption and the nepotism uh, higher in the country, which is one of the main reasons of the distribution of wealth between the uh, different classes in the country. The wealthiest try to pay the less possible and try to benefit from some of the monopoly situation that they have. We have like this association between politics and, and finance that is ruling the country and some of the laws are specifically made to preserve this monopolies or to preserve these privileges and to uh, make them stay in this position of domination. So I think being counterpower is uh, Attacking the corruption, attacking tax evasion, attacking money laundry, this political economical system that is running the country during the 70 last years uh, since the independence of the country. That approach feels especially important right now. In 2021, President Syed has dissolved Tunisia's parliament and is consolidating power in a way that must be worrying for people who remember Ben Ali's autocratic regime. The country rose up a decade ago and fought for a democratic system. Does it now feel like that system is on somewhat shaky footing? We are also very concerned about the situation as a journalist, as a citizen, as Tunisian, living this democratic change in the country. And maybe the key word here that we are on ongoing process for building democracy. So it's not already built as something established completely, you know, functioning perfectly. The president had in the constitution one article uh, allowing him to suspend momentarily the institution with a certain number of rules and uh, garde-fous. But the problem today is the president go far in putting in application this article and a little bit perverted from his original purpose and now he's taken over all the powers in the country the legislative one the executive power but also the judiciary powers with a very dangerous move the day when the president activate this article i think a lot of people was like okay maybe it was the only way to exit this blockage that we had in our political scene but I think most of the people are aware today where we're going to go without parliament, where we're going to go with only one guy having all those powers. Even if there is no direct consequences in our freedom of expression or freedom of press, there is at the heart of this problem a political crisis that is here and everybody is aware about it. And finally, what's a piece of advice that you would give to young reporters who are trying to make a career in investigative journalism? Don't do it if you want to be famous uh, or, or rich. <laughs> it's important to think about the reason why you want to be an investigative journalist because it's a very difficult job. You, you don't succeed all the time. Sometimes you spend a lot of time without having any results. But it, when it works, when you really go through a story and publish it, it's one of the most enjoyable and mesmerizing feelings that you can have as a human being. So yeah, do it for the right reason. I think that's a great place to end. Thanks for joining me, Malik. <laughs> Thank you very much, Shin. That was our conversation with Malik Hadraoui. Thank you to Malik and to all of the journalists that share their stories in the Meet the Investigators podcast. Meet the Investigators is a production of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Sean McGoey, with help from Hamish Boland-Rutter. We'd love to hear from you, too. Don't forget to use the hashtag MeetTheInvestigators when you post about this episode on social media. 
And feel free to send us an email at social at icij.org if you have any feedback. If you want to support the work that ICIJ and journalists like Malek do, head to icij.org slash donate or drop us a line at contact at icij.org. This is the last episode of Meet the Investigators for 2021. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you in the new year.